For God so loved, excuse me, and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You may be seated. On my office wall, there is a print of a painting. And the painting is of Jesus standing bound before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate is on his governor's chair, bending forward, his chin resting on his hand, and he's staring intently at Jesus. And the title of the painting is, What Will You Do With Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? There is nothing more important than that question. And we're not just exaggerating for the sake of effect. There really is no more uh, significant, there really is no question more significant to your life than that question. What will I do with Jesus? What would I choose for a career? Pales in comparison. Do you want fries with that? Should I leave my home country and make a new start somewhere else? Doesn't even come close. What will I do with Jesus? That's the question. We've just celebrated Christmas. Uh, for those who promise to look in the, uh, into a manger, what do we see? Or for those who buy gifts with no further thought concerning Jesus, what does Jesus have to do with them? And as you read through the Christmas accounts in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we read about lives impacted by the birth of Jesus, and we read about very different responses. We read about what they did with Jesus, and want to look at five of them this morning. First, obviously, there is Mary. Mary was about 15 years or so, maybe even as young as 13, and living in a small town in northern Israel. We know precious little about her. But one day, the angel Gabriel seeks her out with a message from God. Gabriel, Gabriel is the angel who had appeared to Daniel some 500 years earlier. And he so overwhelmed Daniel with his glory and majestic appearance that Daniel fell at his feet as though dead. So, of course, Mary is greatly troubled and has to be told, do not fear. 
Gabriel has an astonishing message for her. Luke chapter 1. You, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary receives one immediate difficulty. How will this be since I am a virgin? Good question. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we can't read over this too quickly. Imagine Mary's emotional response to these words spoken through an angel, speaking for God himself. In no uncertain terms, she has been told that she will bear the Son of God, who will be king over Israel forever. Obviously, nothing like this has ever happened before. This is a stunning pronouncement. And how will Mary respond? What will she do with this news concerning Jesus? And Mary said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let, let it be to me according to your word. She doesn't know, but she can probably guess how her friends, her parents, and her fiancé will react. But she lays herself at the feet of God and says, whatever you ask of me, I will do. She is the Lord's servant, and whatever is God's will for her is also then her will. If God were to send an angel into our midst with a message, what might he say? He might say, Greetings to you whom I have blessed with my favor. The Lord is with you. I have chosen you to be the means by which I bring Christ to the world. So there it is. What will you do with Jesus? All around the world, people are oppressed, starving, diseased, in conflict. That was, that's what happens to immunity that does not know Jesus, a humanity. And all around you are people who do not know Jesus. Your boss, wealthy but lost. Your neighbors, whose lives are shallow, devoted only to enjoying themselves. Your friend, who to all observers seems happy, but you know the emptiness that lurks just below the surface. Your coworker, a fellow student, who has tasted religion but been turned off by it. They need Jesus. And who will bring him to them? You may be the only Bible that people read. And just as Jesus came into the world through Mary, so he wants to come into your world through you and in my world through me. Christmas is about these people. So what is your response? 
Are you the Lord's servant? Can he do whatever he wants with you? What would you do with Jesus? Then there's Joseph, the carpenter of Nazareth. He was a righteous man, betrothed to Mary. And I talked about this last week. Then he finds out that his fiancée, that Mary, is pregnant. So a righteous man whose fiancée is pregnant, but not by him, what will he do? He certainly cannot marry her for a righteous man to join his life to that of a sinner, which Mary clearly was, was unthinkable. But he was betrothed, a relation that could only be ended by a legal divorce. And truth be told, he had a certain level of compassion for Mary and not want to add to her disgrace. So what will he do? He decides to divorce her, but do it with no fanfare. But then along comes God and messes things up. An angel comes to Joseph and says, Do not fear to take Mary home as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And for Joseph to accept Mary as his wife is to tie himself to her stained reputation and that of her son. He would no longer be considered righteous by his peers. His reputation would be shot. But God says, do not be afraid. This is my doing. So what will Joseph do? God is calling him to lay it all on the line, to lay down his very reputation and standing in the community for the sake of Jesus, even before he has been born. What will he do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? If you knew that God was calling you to something that would put at risk your reputation at church, at work, in the world at large, even at home, would you do it? And I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just to surrender your Christmas day with your family and go and serve the homeless that day. Maybe to stake a moral stand at your school or in the school of which your children are a part. Maybe do something foolish and sell whatever you have and run an orphanage in Haiti. My cousin did that. Whatever. Would you do it? Joseph took Mary home as his wife and I think gave up his reputation as a righteous man for the sake of Jesus. I'm amazed at the character of Mary and Joseph. What about the shepherds? The first people God told about the birth of Jesus. The best way to read the Bibles in this story is to put yourselves into the sandals of the characters. Imagine Mary. Imagine Joseph. Imagine the shepherds. What that night was like for them. The shepherds, maybe just two or three, maybe 10 or 20, maybe quite young. When David spent the night on those very same hills a thousand years earlier, he was a youth. Maybe the shepherds were quite tired, maybe gathered around a campfire, maybe walking the perimeter around the flock. 
They were probably there night after night after night, quiet. Then an angel appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Imagine, whenever an angel appears undisguised to people, as it were, um, the response is always the same, fear. You would think that an angel from God would bring a certain peace, but it's not so. The shepherds were sore afraid, King James says, or filled with fear or terrified. And whenever an angel appears, again, undisguised, the first thing they always say is, Peter, Renee, James, what's the first thing they always say? Do not fear. And he said that here, fear not. And then he gives the best news that has ever been given to anyone, anywhere. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. This is the one, the one promised to Abraham, the one prophesied by Moses, the one whose character was spoken of by David in Isaiah. He is here. He's born tonight. And the shepherds were so intrigued by this, they spent the whole night talking about it by the campfire. Was it true? Could the God they heard of all their lives actually have kept his promise and sent his Messiah? Could the baby be born? Could the baby born in Bethlehem be the Savior, Christ the Lord? And they talked about it all night. Well, the Bible actually says. What the shepherds said was, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They rushed over to see for themselves. Before coming to Calgary, I had a job at the YMCA. And in talking to my boss one day, I asked him straight out, do you think there's a God? And he said he thought so. So I said, so it's worth finding out who he is, what he's like, and what he wants from you, isn't it? And my boss said, maybe, but I'm not really interested in finding out. That stuns me. We as a church exist to make Christ known. And you might be here or listening online and wondering, does it really matter if Jesus is the Son of God and that my eternity depends on what I do with Jesus? You need to be interested in finding out. And I would suggest that nothing matters more than discovering the answer to that question. So rush over to see for yourselves, read, research, talk to people who know him and to those who don't, and compare, pray for wisdom, but find out, find out if Jesus is the Son of God and that what you do with him, your eternity hangs on it. Isn't that worth finding out? The shepherds were anxious to see if what they heard was true. And when they discovered that it was, quote the Bible, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Isn't our great danger that we keep this news to ourselves? 
that we sing and talk about it on Sundays, in ministry meetings and life group meetings, but it stops there. We exist to know Christ, something the shepherds were keen to do, but we also exist to make him known, something the shepherds also did. So what will you do with Jesus? Will you hoard him or make him known? What about the wise men? Probably they were from the area we know now as Iraq. They were astrologers used to reading the stars. Kings would seek the counsel of these men, and they quickly rose to prominence as advisors to the king. They were the king's wise men. And having seen a star that they identified as signaling the birth of the king of the Jews, they set out on a journey of about a thousand kilometers. And why they attached such significance to this star, I don't know. Maybe they were Jews themselves. There was a massive Jewish population in Iraq at the time. I don't know. But they made this journey. And they, when they found the child Jesus as much as two years after his birth, the Bible says that they offered him extravagant, extravagant gifts. And they were rich enough to offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, not cheap. Go to a small town in Israel and worship a child, the king of the Jews. They acknowledge him. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus is Jesus the king of your life, and let me answer the question because I do know the answer. Yes. But do you acknowledge him as your king? The, answer, the question is not, is he king or not? He is. The question is, do you acknowledge him as king or not? Because if you do not, you're a rebel. Some years ago, when George Bush ran for president against Al Gore, he won a disputed victory. Some charged that Bush, while winning the electoral seats needed to make him president, actually lost a popular vote. That is, he had fewer actual votes. But he was president. And in the demonstration in favor of Al Gore, which I saw on TV, there was a woman who held the sign that said, Bush, not my president. But he was president. The woman may not have liked George Bush. She may have thought that Al Gore should be president, that he had won the election. But Bush was, in fact, her president, whether she liked it or not. Jesus is your king, whether you like it or not. So do you acknowledge him? Do you, do you ascribe to him absolute authority? Is he the deciding factor in all your decisions? What will you do with Jesus? And finally, King Herod. King Herod was the king of the Jews. The Roman emperor himself had bestowed on him that title. 
But when he heard about the birth of Jesus, he erupted in fear and rage. There could be no room for a second king of the Jews. And far from submitting, he took a stand against Jesus and tried to have him killed. He actually had a a bunch of children in Bethlehem killed, hoping that Jesus would be among them. And so for the first time, people are killed for the sake of Jesus, the first persecution, in a sense. Now, the fact that you are here at all means that probably you haven't assumed a posture of antagonism toward Jesus. But I think our culture is increasingly hostile toward Jesus and his followers. There's no room for Jesus in a in Herod's world. When asked, what will you do with Jesus? Herod spits and turns his back. And his spirit lives on in ISIS, in the lives of countless individuals in our own culture. So, there you have it. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, Herod. Now you sit in the governor's chair. And Jesus stands before you. What will you do with him? When faced with him, will you say with Mary, I am the servant of the Lord. Whatever he wants, I will do. Will you with Joseph lay it all on the line, even your very reputation for the sake of Jesus? Like the shepherds did. Will you check and see for yourself if what is said about Jesus is true, seek the truth for yourselves. And will you talk about him, even as they did? Will you acknowledge him as king, like the wise men? And will you allow him full, absolute authority in your life? Or, heaven forbid, will you stand against him, as Herod did, insist that there is room only for one king, in your life. And that king is you. The scripture read earlier for us from John chapter 3 begins with the familiar words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But the text does not stop there. Verse 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Gospel, right? But notice in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. The world was not neutral, and Christ came to save it but not condemn it. The reason Christ came not to condemn the world is because it was condemned already. And why was it condemned? Verse 18 again, it was condemned because of what they did with Jesus. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see how important this is. 
Christmas is over. It has come and gone. But we dare not leave the manger behind. The one who is lying there demands a response. And nothing matters to you more than what that response will be. What will you do with Jesus? What will I do? What will we do? Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, it's, um, it's all too easy to ascribe Jesus a place in our lives, but not to place him on the throne of our lives. And I wrestle with that every day. I pray that by your spirit, we would be convicted of if we place Jesus on the throne or not, that we would be confronted with that reality and forced to make a choice. A choice just on this day. And then tomorrow again, and day after that again. But for this day, Jesus, are you the king? Will we acknowledge you as king? I pray that it might be so in me and in us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.